Shiloh Road Church of Christ. You guys are awesome. It's a blessing every time I come back. It really, really is. Um, uh, the singing alone is, is worth the trip. So I really do appreciate you guys and our partnership in the gospel. You are awesome. So a, a prequel, I guess, to this lesson <clears throat> is I'm going to be preaching to you today in chunks. Um, the topic is Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. And so there is this amazing expansion that the Hebrew writer is going through. My lesson extends from the end of chapter 4 all the way to chapter 7. And so there's just a lot of amazing stuff in there, and I don't have no time to go over it all. So I'm going to preach to you in chunks, and then maybe at the end it will all blend together. So, chunk one. <laughs> um, do you remember a pinky swear? You remember the sanctity that a pinky swear had whenever you were a little kid? I mean, it was it was for serious whenever you had a pinky swear. I mean, there was a bond that you and your friends had whenever you were making this pinky swear. And you, you knew that because of this pinky swear, I can now have resolve. You know, we're good. We're not going to say this, or we are going to say this. We're not going to do this, or we are going to do this. And I don't know if anybody here has ever broken a pinky promise, because, uh, you know, the result of that was a broken pinky. But there was some, <laughs> there was some serious to... A pinky swear, and it was to create resolve. And as we got older, it maybe was a handshake. And then now as adults, it's kind of contracts. These contracts that we get into are there to create security, there to prompt security, trust, and confidence that the terms agreed upon are going to be upheld. And because they are upheld, you can just put that stuff behind you, and then you can go forward. You know exactly what you are to do. You are saying, we are good. Everything is secure, and now I can move on with peace. The Hebrew writer, and the point of this lesson is security. The Hebrew writer wants us to have security in our salvation. I want to read a verse for you. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. The Hebrew writer wants us to be secure in our salvation because an oath that God made about Jesus because Jesus was faithful in what he did and is currently doing as our priest, our mediator, our faith in him secures our eternal redemption. This, this security should lead us to growth into maturity. I know that my salvation is secure. It is secure forever, and therefore I can carry on. And you... You see this desire in the Hebrew writer to have his, have his readers grow and mature. Chapter 3, he's talking about stop in your unbelief, in your disobedience, as the Jews did way back when. Stop in that. Chapter 4, he says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, but rather draw near with confidence. Then chapter 5, stop relying on just milk. 
but crave meat. Chapter 6, realize you're full of assurance and don't be sluggish, but rather be imitators of those who inherited the promises of God. Then chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, this idea of cast aside all those weak theologies, those incomplete theologies, and realize your complete salvation through the priesthood and sacrifice of Jesus. Chapter 11, check out these amazing people of faith. Look at what they have done. And then chapter 12, he says, therefore, what I love about Hebrews is there are therefores all over the place. Because of this, therefore. Therefore, now you can live this way because of this. In chapter 12, he says, therefore, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so you just see the Hebrew writer just culminating. Get rid of all those things. Cast aside all that stuff. And fix your eyes on Jesus. My question to you is, how tangible is your salvation? How tangible is your acceptance of the work of Jesus on the cross? His intercession for you. Have you owned it? Is it personal to you? And I use the word tangible for a certain reason, to emote a certain response I can tangibly hold this podium, and somebody can't come up to me and say, that's, a po- that's not a podium. I'm like, um, look, at it, it's a podium. Somebody can't come up to me and say, that's not carpet. It's carpet. I can feel it. It's tangible. Our salvation sometimes can be something that's a little bit more nebulous, something that is open to deception. We, <clears throat> we come to certain truths, grips on certain truths in our lives. One of those might be age. For me, I realize that I'm, as 34, I am not getting any younger. Sometimes my knees hurt a little bit more. My shoulder doesn't recover after a game of softball as much as it used to. Getting out of bed sometimes hurt, and I'm like, I'm only 34. How is this possible? What am I doing? And, and I know that those late night bowls of bluebell add up. You know, and I've I've come to accept this truth that I am not getting any younger. Maybe money might be one of those things. I I have to accept that there's not as many zeros in my account as I appreciate. So whenever I go to a tool store, it's easier to say no. I see I see a table saw and I'm like, yes, I want this table saw. I look at the price tag. Ooh, how about this router? This router looks. How about this screwdriver? I can afford this <laughs> screwdriver, right? I got a screwdriver. Maybe it might be physical limitations. For me, I know I'm vertically challenged. I know that I am vertically challenged, and a stepladder is my best friend. I, I have sat and thought and looked up online ways to have a built-in stepladder in my pantry so that I can just pull it out and get to the stuff at the top shelf. And I know that when I'm at the grocery store and I see that thing on the top shelf, I'm like, it's a 50-50 chance on whether I'm going to be able to jump up and get it. I might be able to get it, but then again, I might take down a lot of other things along the way. And so there's just certain truths that we have come to accept. How tangible, how palatable, how concrete is the work of Christ in your life? He is our security. He is our pinky promise, if you will, our priest who is continually interceding on our behalf before God. How does that sit with you? How does that 
alter your life. Gary posed a question or a thought to you guys a week ago or two weeks ago about if Jesus is your Lord, this should change the trajectory of your life. Not just what you do on Sunday morning or the words that you choose to say or not to say. What Christ has done and is doing on your behalf before God as the priest forever should change, should change how you go about your day-to-day life, should change the way you make life choices, should change your career, your marital partners. Why in the world does this idea of Christ being a priest forever matter to you? Because if he is your priest forever, it's a forever decision that you are making. If he is your priest, that is altering your soul. It reaches into eternity and alters the state of your soul, the very life that Christ has breathed into you. Chunk one. We are now on to chunk two. (laughs) Melchizedek. How many of you have heard that word before? Oh... That's a, that's a good, yeah, well done. Um, I don't have too much time to go into all of it. So if you've got your pen, I'm going to give you all the verses there are to study about Melchizedek. You're taking notes. Are you ready? Genesis 14, 17 through 20, Psalm 1, 10, verse 4, and Hebrews chapter 5 through 7. That's it. That's all you got right there. That's all you got. And so the gist. Here's the gist. Um, And all this is coming from Hebrews chapter 7. Most of it's I'm just kind of going to give to you and then carry on because this is not the bulk of my lesson. Okay. Um, His name is translated to king of righteousness and king of peace. Chapter 7 verse 2. Melchizedek had no lineage or pedigree to have as his credentials for his priesthood. Chapter 7 verse 3. His priesthood has no end, chapter 7, verse 3. He was dubbed greater than Abraham. The Hebrew writer talks about Melchizedek giving a blessing to Abraham. And it says he who is greater is the one who hands the blessing down. So therefore, he is greater than Abraham. We'll get into that in just a second. And then he was given a priesthood declared by God rather than law. It is implied that he was given his, his priesthood with an oath. But it wasn't stated specifically. So Jesus is like Melchizedek, or rather Melchizedek is like Jesus, in that his priesthood is without lineage, and his priesthood has no end. That is the point that the Hebrew writer is making in chapter 7. He was given, Jesus was given a priesthood on an oath, where Jesus is greater than Melchizedek, is that he is introducing a new covenant. You find that in 7 verse 12. That's the wrong part. for when there is a change in the priesthood there is necessarily a change in the law as well you cross-reference that with verse 22 this makes jesus the guarantor of a better covenant verse 25 jesus is able to save to the utmost and then you have in chapter 5 verses 7 through 9 jesus suffering his obedience his character so to speak established him as a source of salvation thus establishing him as a priest. So, chunk number three. (laughs) So we'll move on to chunk number next. So Jesus, you see this idea. Jesus is ushering in a new priesthood. 
And then this is where it starts getting good. The Hebrew writer starts laying the smack down on all of the Old Testament. I mean, if this was going on today, what would happen is people would be like, look, 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 come here, come here, come here, come here, check this out. And they would be pulling out the cell phones and they would start recording. Like, you got any popcorn? Because this is about to get good. I mean, this is what is happening in Hebrews chapter 7. The writer is about to lay the smack down on those who are Jews. One, he's proving that Jesus is greater than Abraham, their patriarch. He's already proving that Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, but then he shows that Jesus is greater than Abraham. Then he says in chapter 7, verse 18, that the law is weak and useless. I mean, the Ten Commandments is weak and useless. Is that me? Am I doing something wrong? Okay. The, the law is weak and useless. Then he takes it another step further and says the priests are only priests because of law. It's just because they were born into it. It's not like they were an amazing speaker or they were a really good servant. They were just born into it. Then the priests were weak because they died. And then the priests were weak because they needed to offer sacrifices for themselves. And Gary will get more into that in chapter 8 and verse in chapter 9. But imagine if you were a Jew and you were having this read to you. I mean, or if you were a Gentile and you were looking, watching this be read to the Jews, you're like, wow, he just dissed your entire law. <laughs> the whole thing that you guys have been standing on, he just totally said, it's weak and useless. I mean, that is massive. I mean, imagine as a Jew, generations of your family have gone to the temple to worship, to pray to offer sacrifices so that you knew that you were clean and that you were right before God. You would offer tithes, and then the Hebrew writer says, those sacrifices and those tithes were weak and useless. I mean, just boom. And then you, you had a family member that, that passed away who was a faithful servant in the temple, who was a faithful servant of God. And then this Hebrew writer says that this person was living a lesser life because of the weaker covenant they were under. I mean, all that time as a Jew, you spent memorizing the law and the Torah and the, the things that you would do, and the Hebrew writer comes and says that this is useless in being made perfect and right before God. I mean, your patriarch, Abraham, has now just been dismantled. I mean, if you think that your mama jokes are bad. <laughs> Start dissing Abraham to a Jew. It would be like, hold my yarmulke, it's about to get real. I mean, it, it is about to go down. And that's, that's what the Hebrew writer is doing right here. He is saying the focus of all of this is Jesus. He is at the center of your law being weak. He is the center of your priesthood being dismantled. He is at the center of making Abraham lesser. I mean, that is massive. That is huge. <clears throat> Chunk 3A? Don't know. <clears throat> what if all that you held dear was found wanting? The things, the people, the lifestyle was that you held precious is all of a sudden been made inferior. It's been categorized as plan B, 
plan C or plan Z. It's kind of like being asked to the prom because everybody else said no to this person. It's kind of like, really? <laughs> How dare you? I mean, what's going on here? <clears throat> Abraham was that for the Jews. I mean, that was, he was their patriarch. He was the family member, the fleshly representation that they knew tied them back to God. He was, this was the origination of their faith. He was the origination of their faith. They used the phrase, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is what they used to declare to the world, here is how rich and deep our faith is. And now Jesus is coming on the scene and said, yeah, but he's lesser. I mean, that is just, if... If that was said to us, this is one of those things that if somebody said that to you, you'd be like, excuse me? Um, yeah, I, I think I might have gotten some in my ear because what I heard you say is Abraham is lesser. Excuse me? Did I hear you correctly? This is just how significant it was. The way that they worshipped, the way that they were right before God was being threatened. And this Jesus guy is now being coming on the scene as in, he is it. He is the center of it all. That would, that would be like the, the, the controversy that this is stirring up would be like me saying to you, Shiloh Road, that the way our world finds Jesus is not through you, the church. Excuse me? <laughs> We're the body of Christ. Hello. We are the hands of feet. And you want to say that is how serious this is. And Jesus is at the center of it all and saying, I am greater. Chunk 3B. <clears throat> you ever have a family tradition that you did every year? Your family would go to this place. They would play this game at their family reunion. You knew that you would have this meal. And all of a sudden, there's this new member of the family that comes on the scene and says, yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to that place. I don't like that. Um, really, do we have to eat that kind of food? I don't want to. And you're thinking... <laughs> Excuse me, who do you think you are? I mean, this is our family. This is what we do. This is who we are. And you want to come on the scene and say that mama's lasagna is not good? Excuse me. No, oh, pastor. You ever have that, ever have a business go under new management? And the new management comes in and just starts making changes. It's like a slap in the face. Like, this is the way we do business. This is how we communicate to our customers. This is the way in which every Friday we celebrate. And you want to say, oh, it's not efficient, so we're just not going to do that? Excuse me? I mean, come on now. You ever have those group of friends that you get together and you had that one event? You know, it's just that thing that you did. And you created good memories and you bonded and, and you knew, you look forward to it every year, and somebody else comes on the scene and says, yeah, that's actually kind of boring. And you're like, bro, <laughs> those are memories that I have shared. Those are legacies that I'm leaving behind, and you just said that it is boring? Excuse me? A little bit closer to home. You ever have those church traditions? Hmm. Those things that you did for years, and you found solace in them. You've done these things in the church, and they have helped you worship God. They have helped you grow and mature in Christ, and to an extent, you almost see them as essential. You think to yourself, I have grown so much in Christ because of this. I have grown and been able to see and experience my Savior so much because of this. And then this new generation comes in and says, yeah, but that's a bit irrelevant. 
I mean, really, that's what you want to put before the, the community and say, this is how we represent Christ? Really, that's what you want to do? <clears throat> this is what the Hebrew writer is getting at. He just, Jesus is it. Jesus is meant to turn our world upside down, shake it, and reorient it on himself. Jesus is here to alter our preconceived notions of religion. He is here to dismantle the exaltation of self, that I can work hard enough and be faithful enough, so forth and so on. He's here to shake up our rituals and our, our tradi traditions and the comfort that we might fall, find in them. He is saying, and the author is displaying, Jesus is it. Full stop. In the story, hasta la vista, adios. <laughs> He's trying to say Jesus is it, which is why Jesus comes on the scene in his ministry and he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. His methods for discipling aren't the priority. His teachings aren't the priority. His actions aren't the priority. He himself is the priority. For if we don't have him, we don't have his teachings. We don't have his methods. Jesus being supreme by God, by, Jesus being supreme is based off God making an oath that he is going to be a priest forever. And his promises will never fail. Our rituals, they're going to fail. Our daily devotions, our prayer meetings, our small groups are going to fail. Our traditions will fail. Our pedigree will fail. Oh, my mom is a Christian and my great-grand's a Christian. It's in my blood. This will fail us. Christ's priesthood will not fail us. Our eternal redemption must be rooted in his eternal mediation. Our eternal redemption must be rooted in Christ's eternal priesthood. Him going on behalf of us before the Father saying, this person is spoken for. That is our redemption. Chunk number next. <laughs> kind of lost where I'm at. <laughs> so chunk number next. <clears throat> because Christ is greater, here is a reality that I want to share with you that you live in. Um, bring up, it's First Peter. Here, because Christ is greater, here is a reality that you live in. But you are a chosen race, sorry, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Yeah, I can't read that. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Next verse. You are the salt of the earth. Next verse. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. <coughs> you are a city on a hill. You, Shiloh Road, Church of Christ, are a royal priesthood. The question then is, am I being obedient 
to who God has declared me to be. The calling, the focus of the Christian life isn't the obtaining of the position. Can I try and become a holy nation? Can I try and become a royal priesthood? But rather the extension of the position's intent. The priority for the Christian life is to live out who God has declared us to be. You are a city on a hill. You are a royal priesthood. You are declared righteous. You are a chosen race. That is not up to you. That is who God has declared you to be. If you've claimed Jesus as your Lord, and you've been immersed into Christ, and you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, as the New Zealanders say, sorry about it, cuz, that is who you are. That is who God has declared you to be. To live any other way is to live a lie. If Jesus declares you a city on the hill and you're a city in the valley, you're a lie. If Jesus declares you to be the light of the world and you're a shadow, you're living a lie. Just hands down. So many times we get it backwards, though, don't we? We, 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 God did not enter our lives so that we could work hard enough, be faithful enough, and then eventually become the city on the hill that we wanted to be. Then eventually become the royal priesthood that we've wanted to be. That was accomplished for us on the cross. But rather, God entered our world and extended us grace. Because, holla, we be needing some grace. I don't know about you, but I need a whole lot of grace. He extended us grace. And because of the blood of Christ, declared us to be righteous, salt, light, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Right now, and I know I'm preaching this, and I know I'm being a bit redundant, but right now in this place, I am righteous. I am light. I am salt. We are a holy nation. We are a chosen people. And I struggle with which way to say it, so I'm going to say it in both ways. Deal with it. Accept it. Deal with the fact that the Savior of Jesus Christ has declared you righteous. Deal with it. Digest it. Let the very fact that the Savior of this world has declared you a holy nation, let that permeate the very existence of your soul and alter your life forever. Deal with it. Accept the fact that you, Shiloh Church of Christ, are a light to this world that you are a holy priesthood. Let this entire city know that you stand for truth. Deal with it. Accept it. Because to live anything else is to live a lie. God has declared you a holy nation. He has declared you, Shiloh Road Church of Christ, a royal priesthood. You are to example, to live as an example. You are to manifest the glory of God to this community. Deal with it. Accept it. Way number two. Please, <laughs> let, let, let the message of the gospel reach into your heart and relieve it of fear. Relieve it of anxiety. Relieve it of the, the lies that Satan wants us to believe. Please, please, let the fact, the truth, that God has declared you a righteous person take root in you. Let that cast aside all the fear that Satan wants you to believe. Let that just consume you, digest it. It's 
so that it will change the very existence of what this church looks like. Let that take root in your life. Therefore, as you enter your workplace, your volunteer positions, your family reunions, your classrooms, your places that you have lunch, enter knowing that your very presence has an impact. Light does not enter darkness and not get noticed. And your light. Just like a rock being thrown into water doesn't make a wave, that's who you are. That is who God has declared you to be. The question is then imposed upon us. What am I doing with who God has declared me to be? What am I doing with my presence in this dark world, in this situation of brokenness, in this person's loss of hope? Chunk number conclusion. <laughs> Jesus intercedes for us forever. It's an oath made by God, and God cannot lie. He will be there forever, ready to make us right before God. This should alter every facet of your life. So I leave you with this verse. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you are needing prayer, if you are needing mercy, if you are needing grace, and you are ready to place Jesus as your Lord, the invitation is yours together while we stand and sing.